This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners. Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable. We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred. Insurance as, as a concept, as a kind of service, is brilliant. The execution is what we're looking at now. I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. Good afternoon and welcome to the Emerging Tech series of the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Savage, and today I am very lucky to be joined by Casey, who is the VP of Engineering from Flume Health. Casey, welcome. Thanks. I'm excited to join you today, Gavin. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, we had the pleasure of meeting um, over the Christmas period in New York. Um, where I got lost and a little bit late to a meeting going downtown, but you know, first time in New York, so got to cut me some slack. <laughs> oh, absolutely! It's a bit of a rite of passage. I always enjoy trying to help tourists get somewhere, and unfortunately, I um, oftentimes find that depending on what the trains are doing that day, I end up giving them bad directions too. Totally understand. <laughs> well, I never told you, but on the way back from our coffee uh, date, I um, it took me about an hour and a half to get back to Times Square. <laughs> wow what happened uh, just uh for, for an underground that is effectively in theory simpler than the underground in london which is where i'm typically based uh i don't know i just got confused uh, <laughs> got off it twice at two wrong stops and yeah um alex who i was over with from finpro was you know he must have been thinking where, where the hell is he but um we made it back we made it back but um but yes yeah, so it's unusual that i get to um i get to meet in person in the era of remote working considering i'm in the uk and most of the podcasts and uh, recruitment work i do is in the us so as i say it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on before we um before we get into everything that we're going to discuss um always a nice place to start why don't you give could you kindly, sorry, kind of introduce yourself, um, a bit about your background as a whole and how you ended navigating into the world of um, kind of health insurance and sure tech with, uh, with Flume Health? Yeah, so I'm Casey Hancock. I'm the VP, well, SVP of engineering at Flume, but small startups uh, titles are, are whatever they need to be that day. Um, so I, um, I ultimately, I, I got into to technology. I mean, as a kid, I was, um, really like interested in machines. Um, and through like high school and college, I started to get my hands dirty on, on, uh, more like technical projects, building some web apps in college. I actually was kind of known for having built this, um, financial processing app for our, um, student government. We processed a lot of transactions for the different organizations, um, and so there were a couple of um, a couple of folks at uh, at Vassar who who knew me through that, and they um, they were very excited by the release of the Oculus DK One, uh, the, the the first VR sort of prototype headset that was out there, and they approached me interested in um, in ultimately building a distribution platform um, and content creation platform for for virtual reality, and that is um, where Evo came from. So my my first foray into into startups. Um, we ended up building a platform to um, author and deliver uh, like live capture VR. So think like 
video captured VR with um, the ability to jump between scenes based on what you're looking at or the ability to trigger audio based on where you're looking. So maybe if I like look in one direction, a like a bird might fly at me, you might hear the audio of that as well. Mm -hmm. um, we worked on some very cool projects. We ended up um, having uh, projects with uh, the BBC, Merck, Logitech, Zoom as examples. In fact, I think um, I was looking during the during the sort of lockdowns of the pandemic, uh, still through uh, late 2020, Zoom had our interactive player embedded on their hardware um, marketing site. So very cool opportunity, fun in uh, fun technology to build in VR, especially because we got to build technology that's like, it could run on an iPhone, it could run on a headset, or it could run in the browser. Very, very cool, very cutting edge. Ultimately though, um, I ended up meeting uh, Cedric Flume's founder at a, uh, a networking event, started talking about the problems that he was seeing um, in, in healthcare and what he was trying to build to make healthcare better. And ultimately um, took the leap to go so start uh, the, the technical team here at Flume. Um, so I kind of, kind of unexpectedly found myself in healthcare, mostly just through being interested in um, solving the problems that I was I was hearing about and being intrigued um, by the the mission and vision that he um, he laid out. Mm. Awesome. And um, for the listeners, you know, could you um, give a brief uh, description of the mission and, and that vision at Flume Health, which attracted you over to the, over to them? Yeah. Um, try to keep it brief. We've had um, we've we've had a, a a fun fun story so far. So Flume was really founded um, after Cedric had this sort of key re recognition that um, your your health plan is probably the most influential player in your healthcare journey in the U.S. at least. So obviously doctors identify and drive care as you need it. They they know what you need and they're telling you what what steps to take. But ultimately that system, which sort of says really like who who will get paid what and what will be paid for, that's your your health insurer. And if, if they won't pay for it, then those things won't happen. If you have to do it out of pocket, you're probably not going to, to pursue that path of care. So there was just this, this recognition that health healthcare as it is right now is incredibly influential um, in, in your journey, but health plans really today, or at least back then, and we're, we've seen some progress over the last couple of years, it's not really very personalized for the individual and doesn't necessarily work well for all kinds of individuals. So we actually started out administering uh, self-insured health plans. So these typically were businesses um, that were looking to control their costs and provide a, a health plan that was tailored for their population. So a health plan mm -hmm. that offered um, care, specifically designed to make it easy for their population to be healthy. So this might include things like having a direct primary care uh, offering as a part of the health plan or a uh, contract with a local health system. So you're trying to make sure that your members have good access to care and are incentivized to use that within the confines of the health plan, while you're also trying to control costs in uh, what is one of uh, the well, really the most expensive um, place to get care. Um, so we, we built this administrative product. Um, we started operating health plans. We operated health plans primarily for employers. We recognized that there's an opportunity to start to power health plans um, with our, the technology that we built and the administrative capabilities that we built to offer um, those services to those who themselves might have unique offerings. So I think a really good example of this is uh, Firefly Health. So they have a um, virtual primary care business um, and, and capability that they could... Um, now pair with a health plan where a doctor would actually be able to say, um, you have this particular condition. And, and if you go to this provider, which I know is a good specialist to solve this problem for you, 
then I can ensure that you don't have any out-of-pocket costs because I'm directing the health plan to do something that fits within both my my advice as a professional doctor as well as uh, the care model um, designed in the health plan. So we started um, we started offering our technology for those kinds of businesses, and we had pretty fantastic traction. We um, we recognize that in that administrative businesses uh, that administrative business there's. I think something like we we charted out there's like 37 different key functional areas uh, that we were responsible for. And ultimately that we thought we um, we could build individual technology on or in. We could focus and build something innovative or useful in that space. Um, so we had a lot of ground to cover. We knew that. And we'd recognize that our business had come to a place where we we're actually spending the vast majority of our, our engineering and product time on integrations. So health plans, um, interestingly enough, are mm. uh, very, very data hungry. Um, they they send and receive a lot of data and that is essential to the health, health plans operation. So um, we built a lot of technology to support that. Ultimately, um, with the traction that we'd received, we actually built a product designed to make that whole process, the integration process and operation of integrations, faster and cheaper. And that sort of birthed um, or set the foundations for today, what is Flume Relay? The, the product that we're, we're selling in the marketplace, which is a purpose-built data integration and trading tool that is really meant to be that sort of trading infrastructure that powers um, your health plan operation. So it can help power trading in health plans. It can also help power trading for say uh, healthcare point solutions or a broad spectrum of folks in between. Basically, if you're trading healthcare data, um, we can uh, on the payer side, um, provide you a tool that does that a lot, uh, a lot more efficiently. And based on the library of integrations that we have, oftentimes we find that we might already be connected to who you want to trade with. Um, so your your integration will be very fast and fully managed for you. So quite quite a bit of a journey, but ultimately we ended up in this this key focus on on how we could make the infrastructure of healthcare more flexible to enable this sort of um, this sort of philosophy that we have about how um, health plans. Over time, with the introduction uh, introduction of um, more novel like digital therapeutics and other solutions in the space, will become more personalized indiv individuals. But the, you you kind of need core infrastructure there to enable that to occur. Mm. Super interesting. It's kind of like a B two B to C play then, because you're obviously working with the large health players and health insurers, but ultimately it's benefiting the 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 consumer at the the in, on the front end of it. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of fun because you decide how many B2s you want to add in there, depending on who you're selling to. Um, yeah. But that's that's something we've pretty commonly seen, particularly uh, as we were uh, an administrator in the space. Absolutely. Yeah. And what, what was, you know, as coming in as the SVP for you, what was the most kind of critical thing? Like, because it, it's that kind of common misconception that technology will just solve everything, but you know, it's really the users that will help you get to where you need to go in terms of what you have to build. Like, you know, coming from a, a SaaS orientated world, the Evo, um, what was the kind of biggest implicate when you look back? What was the biggest implications of what you guys built? Was it the was it the technology or was it the you know how did you go about finding out how to how to close that gap in terms of the lack of personalization or you know, I know there's a number of um, complexities when it comes to uh, health cover and health plans in the US, but, but looking back, like, what do you feel like it was that, you know, maybe surprised you the most or or maybe not surprised you the most, but looking back, what, what was it that you really got right? What was it that we got right? Um, yeah. So I guess I think the answer at the end of the day is probably focus. 
Um, I, I was, I think I was kind of um, taken a little by surprise by the complexity of operating health plan. I think from the outside, particularly coming from like a world in which I'm working with um, streaming technology for mm. uh, video that has more complexity than what your, your standard tooling is able to support. I thought that I had a sense of, of what complex technology could look like. I mean, healthcare, we're, we're just like pushing around paper, right? Um, a lot of forms, a lot of, lot of documents. It's uh, just shockingly more complex to operate a health plan um, than that. So like we built our own plan administrative stack from scratch. Um, and we, and we did it with, with, um, what, what we could find in the market and what we could build that was, was pretty fairly modern for what it was, um, and flexible. And even, even within that, we were, we're dealing with uh, arrays of different kinds of issues that stemmed from just like the variability of different kinds of health plans that you're operating, particularly when you're selling the ability to operate customized health plans. Um, so I think, I think it's ultimately this the thing that we got right is seeing the areas where we could provide um, unique innovation and then driving deeper on that innovation um, and, and offering that as a product. Um, there are many, many different things that I know Flume um, is, is going to do over the course of its life as a company. Um, and I think we want to expand into some of those other 37, but uh, like mm-hmm. functional areas. We want, to, we want to, to continue doing that sort of platform work. Um, but as it is today, um, that focus, I think, has been very essential in us being effective at delivering an innovative product um, in a space that is pretty wildly complex. Mm, interesting. And, you know, I guess moving into the more insured part of it, you know, the the, the insurance carriers that are, you know, health plans, there's a lot to consider nowadays, you know, health, dental, life. Um, but it seems like more and more these days, the adoption of APIs and 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 uh, low no code solutions and technology infrastructures to support fast, accurate data exchanges are really there's a lot of investment going into that. Like one thing that kind of stood out from the the offering at, um from Flim Health is that is that phrase health plan as a service platform. Like how how do you define has um what unique offering does this does this have on the health sector that was not there before yeah um so health plan is a service very fun term um Hmm. ultimately i i look at it as a model where um health plan administration um or operation is offered as a, a really fully managed service through a technology platform um so this sort of encapsulate this encapsulates this image of um, utilizing more more modern tooling and technological practices to deliver those administrative services that can power um, expanding evolving modern health plans um, in this in this uh, case it also um, meant that there was like a certain amount of te- a certain mo- amount of technology that we could leverage in order to operate um, distinctly novel models. Um, because we were interested in utilizing technology to innovate in the space. Um, I think in terms of what it offers to the the, the sector, like our, our end goal and, and where um, where we saw a lot of traction was, um, we actually use this term, anybody, um, anybody could operate a health plan. Not that anybody should operate a health plan for what it's worth, but mm-hmm. um, anybody who had a, a novel care model or had um, a, an ability to provide a better service for a member, um, they shouldn't be 
burdened by that sort of overhead of starting the administrative service, they should be able to go to a partner and and operate that that plan. They should have technology available that they can sort of use in their stack to build a health plan. Um, so I think that's that's ultimately how um, how we've seen it, and really how we see as as sort of being that like infrastructural layer now in the health plan as a service sort of platform in providing that. Uh, data trading, which is sort of like the foundation of your technological operation inside of the the, the health plan administrative stack. Mm. And in what way does that does your kind of administrative platform? Because we spoke, we kind of went back and forth on this when we our meeting in in New York, and and I was really trying to get to the the core of the the insurance part of it. You know how that really benefits the health insurers, or you know, and presumably it's it's in tandem with. Um, large health organizations and also large um, carriers that offer um, life and health plans. Like what, what, what kind of role do you feel like you've, you've, you've played in the, you know, it's interesting because in the UK, we, we don't have, I don't have health insurance because I have the NHS. So <laughs> something happens to me. I'm happy for you, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's not, that's not a humble brag. I didn't I think that sounded like that, but you know, like in terms of not being fit for purpose, you touched on it there, key personalization. Um, you know, I'm assuming cost is a massive thing and, and you've provided a single integration um, platform to benefit the end user or the, the consumer. Like fr from an insurance perspective, how is that, how is that really, change the game in somewhat way for them in terms of what they can offer from an insurance perspective? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a good plan. I th or good question. Um, mm -hmm. talking about health plans. Um, so, um, I think it it's to recognize where we are now and to recognize like how, how, like what I might consider from as an, if I'm thinking of myself as an outsider to insurance is like pretty modest, um, movements in technology in some senses. Um, I think it's it's useful to sort of understand the history of how we got here um, to to yeah. a good degree. So like healthcare payments in the US, um, they've evolved a lot. Um, in the sort of like 50s or 60s or so, um, we started having this emergence of, um, of like uh, payment for healthcare or a part of your healthcare being available through your employer being an uh, additional offering um, that they could provide to you as a benefit. Um, that eventually evolved into what we have today. I don't think it was like intended to be health insurance as it is today, um, but it evolved to what we have today where you've got a really complex web of relationships um, mm -hmm. where your consumer of healthcare is really a number of steps uh, removed from the person paying for the healthcare who's also removed from the decision-making of what healthcare is being paid for. So like you've got a member their employer typically, or some cases, depending on what kind of health plan you're on, uh, maybe the government is responsible for paying for your health care. But if it's your employers paying for it, they are often working with an insurance company or, and it's even more complex than this. And we found that as uh, an operator of self, self-funded plans, but like typically a health insurance company is making the decisions about what is being paid for. And they're just charging premiums back to the employer. So the employer doesn't know how their money is necessarily helping their population other than asking them um, and maybe to some degree looking at the data, which is a little bit more modern, like health plans haven't traditionally been super excited to share uh, data with um, most employers unless they have pretty substantial leverage. Um, so, so we've kind of gotten in this position where like the people paying for healthcare are removed from the people making the decisions about it, um, which are removed from the consumers who also, I haven't even talked about it, um, don't really account for the people who are capable of delivering it. Um, so we've mm -hmm. got this 
like bizarre extended scheme of things um, that if you if you track the full history, it makes sense why regulations got where they got and why health insurance got where it got to is very, very difficult to to unravel as it is right now. Um, but there are advances that we make over time, progressively, slowly, iteratively. Um, but I think ultimately the way that um, the way that things are progressing, um, t- technology, I think, enables and really like these these kinds of solutions. So the f- solution that Flume brings, or maybe even like the solution of Firefly operating on Flume technology as an example, um, gives us a picture of how technology um, kind of advance- advances this this um, this marketplace, even with a lot of its complexities. So like in the Firefly case, because they have the ability to offer, like because administration is available to them as an off-the-shelf service that they can buy, and that administration has the ability to connect a bunch of different kinds of data sources and make that data available to their care teams, their providers in in real time, uh, they're able to offer a health plan where really like the doctor is, is the most influential. The doctor and patient collaboratively are the most influential in how the care is delivered for that individual. So there are just new kinds of models that are made available because we've now got telemedicine as an option and we have uh, the technological capabilities um, and movement within the industry to connect all of those disparate uh, data sources, those disparate offerings um, mm. and enable like plans with incentive structures that work best for patients that are really um, designed to allow them to get that sort of personalized care journey where hopefully at the end of the day, they become healthy or they stay healthy and they haven't had to really spend anything out of pocket. And the overall plan spend for their employer is hopefully less because they've gotten to stay healthy and the health plan was actually able um, to sort of uh, customize its care to that individual, recognizing um, the sort of needs that that individual has. Mm, I mean, it's so bound by data um, and there's so many different parts of the value chain, as you say, there's all these disparate systems trying to talk to each other, you know, for, for you and the team at, at Flume, like what's been the biggest challenges when you're trying to innovate for that efficiency, transparency and connectivity of data? Like what have been the biggest challenges over the last couple of years and in, in terms of, um, yeah, in terms of just general innovation in that space? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, the, the variation in what we're seeing. So in terms of the difficulty that we're solving, particularly in, in, in data trading, that has been um, to answer that challenge in variation um, mm. of things that you would expect to be very um, simple or standard um, that's uniquely difficult in healthcare. So like data trading technology is, you, you can get it from AWS, you can get it from a Salesforce product, you can get it from a Microsoft product. Um, but the difficulty is in healthcare managing all of the variation and complexity that really the industry as a whole shouldn't have to. Like every corporation, there, there isn't any reason that everybody should have to go invest in integrating with all of the other people, because if they invest uh, invest in integrating with with one system capable of communicating with all of those other systems, um, then they themselves would sort of reap the benefits of that, and it's really not core to their business. So I think it's sort of like we've we, we found our biggest challenge being sort of that like variation and connecting all of the disparate systems, the disparate disparate sources and destinations um, and entities, and ultimately came out with like the the product that we wanted to deliver. Um, was one that was able to sort of solve that challenge of handling variation uh, variation across the industry in, in data integration. Mm. And then, kind of jumping on the the kind of AI bandwagon topic, you know, we're seeing that, you know, I read a lot and see a lot that AI will, you know, really change the way that we do everything. You know, when we apply 
that to a product, you know, what the, the, we look at when we apply that to a product, the most significant technologies like, as I say, AI, Internet of Things, like what do you think the most significant ways that, for example, AI will change maybe maybe not as broad as product development, but product development in the health space for you? Like and that's just more of a fun question as to your maybe something that you can see happening in the future or or where AI can take the the, the health insurance space or the health space. Yeah, um, AI is very exciting um, for the health space. I think already we know that um, large, very large corporations are using AI in different kinds of ways uh, to to help make health plans better, to make them cheaper to operate. In some cases, they're doing a good job of that. In some cases, I think they're maybe missing the mark a little bit at times. Um, but there are a ton of different kinds of applications, and they um, they they happen at at various levels of um, I don't know like depth inside of the the I don't know the bowels of healthcare. So um, for example, there are a number of innovative products that I've seen come out um, that help to make administration more streamlined, simpler, more straightforward, and sort sort of actually like surface the important things to an administrator that is actually key to operating the health plan. Um, while uh, while sort of decreasing friction for members. There's certainly um, AI being um, deployed to identify risk models for distinct populations, which can be utilized in say, for example, like reinsur reinsurance situations um, where mm. you're, you're trying to provide, um, you're trying to provide a better, um, a better model for, for risk for a particular population, potentially with less data. So there are just a, a broad swath of areas that already AI is um, provided um, advancement. I think that the 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 sort of like saturation of AI, we, we've we've just seen it sort of start to trickle in. Um, mm. I think that, that we're going to see a lot of that um, continue to to um, get quite a bit deeper over time. And I'm excited to see I'm excited to see how it's um, employed in in many different kinds of areas. I mean, I think just even for for Flume in the area that we're focused, um, it's very simple for us to uh, look at AI and see tons of applications obviously like we're looking we're looking to map between different disparate data sources um mm. we can use ai to kind of do a first cut of that for us and we can also use ai to uh detect um when there are um say anomalies in what's being traded between um between our partners so we can identify if there are issues in our integrations um, and those are sort of just i think some like first level examples that we've we've considered um so i i guess I'm incredibly excited. It's like, I don't even know which part I want to go, uh, like dig into first as to how I think AI will help that space. Um, mm. but I, I, I think it's, uh, an incredibly powerful and valuable tool for the space. And I think it's, from what I've seen, it's been, um, sort of like, uh, there's a lot of excitement and acceptance of it. I think insurance is typically pretty like, I mean, by the nature of what it is, it's pretty risk averse. Um, but I've seen a lot of folks, um, be very engaged with and um, sort of accepting of wrapping their arms around AI in a way that other technologies they might be a little bit more resistant to. Mm. I think from an insurance perspective, it's not been able to control sometimes the outcome of of what the AI could do and and it may be getting a bit out of control. Like, you know, one thing you kind of mentioned there about you and the team are thinking about AI. One thing I see, I hear or see a lot when I'm having conversations that like when the discussion of AI is ongoing, it's it almost just gets passed to engineering and then the engineering team just decide what we're going to do with it. Like, do you feel like that's potentially a wrong play? Like for me, I kind of feel like the AI strategy has to start from the top, you know, CEO, 
you know, executive team and, and work its way down. Like so at the moment, it seems like it's like AI, that's engineering's problem. Let us know what you think we should do. Like, do, do you know what I mean there? Like, do you, do, what, what's your guy's yeah. kind of strategy with it? Yeah. Um, so I, um, my view on that is that that kind of, that kind of is, it kind of depends on what kind of like product engineering culture you have, like kind mm. of broadly at your, your company. I do think it's incredibly common for, um, for at least healthcare companies, probably insurance companies, uh, pretty broadly to look at, um, look at technology in the organization as sort of like a, a pretty operational function. Um, so it's sort of like you, you've got a factory over there and you can produce widgets for me. Um, here are some widgets mm. that I would like. And they've, they've heard about AI potentially in marketing or through um, discussions at uh, the, the dinner table or conferences, what have you. And so they might be excited about it, but, but um, leaders in organizations who, who um, don't necessarily embrace an understanding of what the technology can do can sometimes just get uh, stuck in a little bit of a place where um, they end up saying, well, I kind of know about this thing. Let me throw that over the fence to you and you guys can go, go, go run with it. So I think um, one of the things that I've um, really enjoyed um, about um, the, the culture that we have is ultimately like we are very um, product and engineering um, sort of like pervasively our culture exists mm. at all levels. And yeah. so um, like our, <laughs> Our founder and CEO is is the one that you'll find like trying to toy around with the 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 chat GPT um, <laughs> API. Uh, so so depending on on kind of how your company is set up, what your culture looks like, I think it's it's very common for that to occur. But as you have leaders in your organization who understand that technology deeply and can share with other leaders in the organization how that technology operates, um, it's not that hard for people to start to um, start to see how they can break down the problem and identify areas that they can provide a little bit more of their own expertise and apply that into something like um, AI, which does kind of require you to understand what like at this stage, especially like you do need to control for um, what those outputs are going to be, which means that you kind of need to granularly understand what kind of problem space you're attempting to solve. And the mm. knowledge of what kinds of problems can be solved certainly exists um, much very broadly outside of just your engineering organization. Um, so I think it's, it's a lot of really the culture of your organization and the way in which they look at technology and the way in which they look at their response individuals responsibility for understanding technology and and to some degree um how the the technologists in the organization um sort of evangelize what what is out there and provide knowledge and and support an open culture of curiosity for others to be able to to engage with new technologies or understand the power of it and how they might be able to um, to contribute to that um, to that vision or uh, drive towards um, utilizing it in their businesses. Mm. It's interesting because I was listening to um, listening to a podcast and it was the co-founder CTO of um, Spotify and he, you know, he made a good point. Like when we transitioned to mobile, the UI or you know functional when you're building your platform at Flume, you know it's about functionality. It's about the UI being easy to use and easy to understand. That has always been. The product then machine learning came along to help the ui and now ai it would seem as fast becoming the product and ui is is here to help ai like do you think that, that, that at some point will you know even you at flim you'll you'll move towards and and the world will generally move towards ai making ui redundant Yes and no, I suppose. I mean, I think um, I, we've got, uh, I'm, I'm usually very 
I don't know how to put it. Maybe I'm, I'm um, pessimistic. And so I, sometimes these like very like fantastical views of like the world <laughs> in which I've got like AI in my ear and it can interpret the whole world around me and it just knows everything and it can handle everything for me and it makes good decisions for me. Yeah. That sounds really exciting and awesome. And uh, I'm not opposed to that future um, as long as that future doesn't kill us. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, um, I think that there's going to be a little bit of a, a journey to get there. And I think, I don't know, it's almost like... Um, I think I think there'll be progress over time. There will be certain tools that are just more useful useful to us in certain forms. Yeah. So, like um, we are we are uh, as humans, we're very uh, we we have all of our senses, right? So um, we are very visual as well. So I think like we've got mobile phones, and we I think that there's there's um, been over time a sort of thought that like mobile phones could like wholly replace, or even like tablets could wholly replace our desktop computers. But every day at work, we're very happy to work with the keyboard, the mouse, and the monitor that we have, because these are the tools that are very comfortable for us to work with. So I think like, uh, to a certain degree, AI is probably going to simplify a lot of user interfaces for us. And I think it's going to make our lives, um, especially for the mundane stuff, substantially um, simpler and more enjoyable. Uh, but I don't think it'll like wholly displace um, all of all of UI that is out there, but it probably for for a lot of your like mundane interactions probably will um, make it a lot simpler for you to to do those kinds of things, um, mm. and then to to really get you to the core of what actual value you're adding or deriving from that particular situation. Um, so, I don't know, that's a a bit of yes and no kind of answer, I suppose. Like UI is here to stay, at least for a while, um, but yeah. AI will make that a lot better. <laughs> It's a broad question, like, you know, and it's not, it's, uh, it's more interesting your thoughts because your platform is so based on that, you know, user interaction and, and functionality and, and simplicity. Um, and then AI, of course, can can really kind of fast track that. But, you know, I'm conscious of of, of your time. Um, uh, and it, just as a kind of finish point, we, we touched upon something in terms of scaling engineering teams. You're looking to build an engineering team at scale when you're going through you know, rapid growth rates. And for me, it seemed like your compassion and empathy to how to hire with an engineering and how to grow that team in a sustainable fashion, you know, it really quite spoke to me because I'd, I'd done a recording earlier with Alex who hosts on the original series of this podcast. And, um, you know, we spoke about the the, the 2023 era of hiring and particularly in, in, in our world, you know, my world as, a, as an engineering and product recruiter, um, the stages that from basically the the concentration on capital we feel has had a as a direct result on on the ability to hire people, but rather than it increases that bar, so hesitant to make decisions, increasing stages to five, six, seven stage interviews, having three technical tests, and and amongst those interviews, and and making it all very binary, and I think as a result losing out on talent, like as we go into 2024 with a very different mindset and how we're going to grow engineering teams not growth at all costs um like what do you think the key consideration should be when looking to when looking to build an engineering team at scale like what do you think we're we're not talking about or, or not quite doing right and should be, be doing better in that in that area yeah that is a fantastic question i think um my really like my 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 one word answers here um i think like simplicity probably needs to be a bit about a core of your focus like what are we actually trying to solve for um particularly as we talked about like that um that uh 
process of acquiring an engineer, the, the steps mm. of interviews just kind of expanding. Um, what are you actually getting for, getting out of your process? What are you actually evaluating at each stage of the process? So I think that's something where like we kind of talked a little bit about the nature of technical interviews yeah. and how they can be um, they can be incredibly like I've I've certainly been um, aware of many organizations who who look at these things as like very much so just like a binary test. There's like a yes or no answer. And our our sort of philosophy here is that like the um, you you are looking to get a particular signal out of that step. You you do need to do that to be prudent in understanding what technical level that engineer is at. But that is not your whole view of of that engineer. And like they're like the way that we look at it is there's not really like necessarily pass or fail wholly. It's more that when you take our technical interview, we're looking to see through a set of progressively harder uh, technical problems that you are doing in an open and comfortable environment. Hopefully, I know it's high pressure and really uncomfortable, really as mm -hmm. a whole. But there's we've we've thought of different ways to doing it, uh, and this is sort of where we've landed. But if you're in an environment where you're you've got whatever resources you'd have normally available, so you've got all the documentation, you've got Google, you've got ChatGPT if you want it, um, but you are meant to um, move through a progressively harder set of questions, we can see how you think about those questions and we can see what level of technical um, familiarity you have with certain kinds of concepts. And if we have enough questions set up over the course of, say, an hour, where we can see how far you get into that interview and we can identify particular traits um, related to to your competencies there. So we might identify that you are particularly um, fast, but maybe your algorithmic solutions are, are not the most optimal for the role that we're hiring for. That might be very good. Like that may be fine. We're mm. not necessarily looking for you to do anything like wildly algorithmically complex, or maybe that's very important for us. So the way that we look at it is very much so like when you were, when you're taking any particular step, what are you trying to solve for? And ultimately you're um, like, it's both the candidate's time, but it's also your time. It's very expensive mm -hmm. to have engineers interviewing engineers um, or to have um, other higher level folks at your company interviewing other people. So um, really, I think the key is to focus on how you can kind of like MVP your um, your hiring process if possible, get just what you need to actually have a um, the right conclusion in your hiring process and know what you're optimizing for um, at each of those steps. Um, I think that's, uh, that's, I guess, my like first cut. I don't know if there's any particular other direction you want to go on that. No, I think that just brings us uh, perfectly to the end and, um, you know, a great finishing point on how to hire. And, and I guess just, as I say, not to make it so binary and, and really focus on the all-rounded skills of the individual. Of course, it has to, we have to test for technical ability. But as I say, you know, I think going into 2024, simplicity is key and, and um and treating the engineering process and, and humanizing it more um is what I would personally love to see. But yeah, Casey, thank you for um for joining me today. And uh yeah, it's been it's been great to have you on. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is this has been fun, Gavin. Thank you.